Hi, this is Kelsey Cooper, and I'm the host for Disabled Birth Stories podcast. I hope those in the disabled community can enjoy these stories of bringing beautiful babies into the world and the journey along the way. I hope this podcast helps you feel seen, heard, empowered, and capable, no matter your journey to being a parent. I hope those who are able-bodied would listen to empathize with and support their disabled family member, friend, acquaintance, or random stranger. Thank you for listening and feel free to email me if you have any questions or would like to be featured on the podcast at disabledbirthstories at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us today. After listening to this episode, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please also check the description for our social media links and the link to our merch store. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please consult your medical providers for all of your healthcare needs. Also, the views and opinions expressed by the guests are not necessarily the views and opinions of the host and vice versa. This is a content warning. The following interview contains discussion of a stroke during pregnancy and also may mention traits of topics such as mental and emotional abuse as described by the interviewee. Please note, this is Julia's perspective and there are multiple sides to every story. We're choosing to support and honor hers today. Hi guys, I'm here with Julia and she's going to give us her story today. Julia, can you start by introducing yourself? My name is Julia Simcoe. I'm autistic. I'm uh, 33 and I'm from New Jersey. Let's start with uh, what disability you have or disabilities. If you have more than one, kind of explain them and how they affect you. I have autism spectrum disorder. Back when I was diagnosed, it was before the DSM-5 came out. So I was originally diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, which, yeah, this gives you an idea of the background behind it too. Um, I also have recurrent major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. Um, the way they infect, infect, they don't infect my life at all, by the way. Their disabilities, not diseases. The way they affect my life is that they, um, is that, uh, I get a little bit more anxious in certain situations than most people. I'm a bit more unsure of myself sometimes, but at the same time, I'm a very talkative person and I like to communicate. And though it's a weird combination, it's very situational. <laughs> and I have some sens- sensitivities to certain tastes, um, certain textures, tastes, um, Pretty much like all the five senses um, and touch, but the uh, the hard one of the really hard things is about is really having people have, understand me, especially people who aren't willing, and to try to um, try to uh, I have ways of coping to regulate. Like I sometimes tell people this, you know, like back off for a little bit, like and back a little. I need some space. I don't like people getting too close to me. And usually if that happens, at least things can stay pretty, pretty calm. But if adults, especially adults, get too close to me and too in my face, it kind of just, it, it, it freaks me out. I, I also like, um, and it tends to, it can escalate things. 
and if people aren't specific, like if they give a very basic answer, a vague answer, I like to know the reasoning. I still have that curiosity that the kids are famous for. I still um, are not famous for, known for. Uh, but uh, of course, a lot of adults don't like it when other adults are curious. That can be hard too. Um, for parenting, I mean, I have child welfare services on my case and my boyfriend's mom is of the mindset where she was wondering when he got autism and asked me if I was going to, there was, if there was going to be ever be a cure for me. So to put that in context, that's where our son is living. Um, but when I see him, I feel like it's also beneficial because I can understand him a little bit. A little bit more I can um he might be autistic too which again really scares me with living if he's living with some of that mindset especially if that happens long term um so I can kind of he has he's speech delayed so I can kind of like watch him a little bit more I know to like watch him and try to read him that way and uh that does go well when I'm at visits with this this one supervisor who is she does stay out of the way she actually says she wants to she wants to give she wants you to have time with your son that's really great especially just hearing you know about different adults not knowing how to cope or understand having someone willing to learn and step back like that is really neat I guess let's get into learning you were pregnant how you felt about that how you handled that what were your first thoughts in learning you were pregnant? Oh, that is quite a story. Actually, what happened when I was pregnant is the biggest reason I wanted to do this. And I don't want to scare anyone. It is it is rare. I suspected beforehand, but it wasn't until I had a stroke that my family found out. I It was just affected the talking. First, I was speaking gibberish. I remember trying to get my boyfriend to call 911, trying to gesture couldn't write. I was like, okay, writing's out of the question. I could run when the ambulance came. I ran, but I had like a he terrible headache on the, can you describe the upper, I think for me, it's the upper right side, right up of my uh, forehead. It, it was where it hurt. And when I went to the hospital, I stopped being able to talk. Um, and I remember that thinking that, okay, the doctors need to know if I'm pregnant because if they give the wrong med, that could hurt the baby. So I came up with the idea while I was lying there in the ER waiting for something to happen to, um, to get, um, to gesture to someone to get my phone. And I pulled up my period app. I have one of those period, those famous period apps people have sometimes. And I got up from the, the, the gurney and I walked to the doctor who was talking to my oldest sister and just just uh shoved it in his hand I didn't want to have to forget how to say here take this or anything so I just shoved it in his in his hand and then I guess a few blood tests later my sister Kate was like um so it turns out you're pregnant you have you know a choice and stuff but I'm just lying there like yeah I know I'm pregnant you're the only one who doesn't know. And I know I'm pregnant because I've been having a hard time with food. <laughs> with the taste and the feeling nauseous. 
they Kate tried to tell me, hey, child welfare services might come. I want you to be prepared. Because, um, and in New Jersey, I thought they were there to help, oh, they keep families together. I didn't know there were strings attached to that rule. So it was a very difficult pregnancy, not really as much because of the medical stuff, but because of my, the having friends, support from friends, but the family kind of just saying how terrible it was going to be, um, how horrible, how I it wouldn't work. I wouldn't be able to do it. Just put the kid up for adoption. And then my dad has medical, financial, legal custody of me. So, you know, there wasn't really much I could do in terms of privacy for a lot of like the medical stuff, for example. You said it was your boyfriend, right? Did you have support him at least? She was actually the one who first guessed that. When I first suspected I was autistic, I was trying to, not autistic, but I suspect that I was autistic. I was in elementary school and no one would believe me until I was 16. Anywho, that's that story. Um, when I found out I was pregnant unofficially without the test, my um, I was trying to drink tea, but the tea was making me gag. And I guess I had just didn't think of it and he had. So she was the one who actually said, maybe you're pregnant. That's when I was like, oh, crap. And I said, okay, listen to me. Don't tell my dad or my sister. Let me figure out a way to my sister and then she'll tell my dad but the stroke you know happened before we could figure out how to do that so the stroke was really the first sign I would have been more open with my family about it and more quicker to get natal care if I knew they weren't gonna act well exactly the way I thought they would to be honest with you your family having control over your medical things like your dad finding a doctor did you, how'd you go about that? Um, well, the hospital I went to, I got the, the obstetric care there too. Um, I don't think they ever talked to me about the doctors. I think it just kind of happened. I went, I went to the doctor's appointments myself though, with my boyfriend, we just went together, him and I, there was, my family wasn't there with me. And I had, it was a team, of course, with the stroke, there was a, a whole team because of the riskiness of it. There was a hematologist, um, the neurologist, the obstetrician. There were, there was one hematologist I worked with, and I mostly saw her virtually. I literally went to get my blood drawn for the in-person appointments. It was at the height of the pandemic. It was March, 2021. Um, she was born August 11th 2021 to put that in some context um and i had a favorite obstetrician we tried to schedule our appointments around his schedule um so there were two that i saw but there was one that i was particularly fond of who i like working with and um sometimes we were able to schedule with him most of the time we were but not all the time but at the appointments the appointments were nice because ray with me was just him and I, my boyfriend, sorry, um, he went with me and they let me fill out the paperwork. They helped me understand, you know, and sign things, sign certain things. The delivery, I think, was hard because I had a choice between having um, a guardian with me for that. My sister, she just just taken off. I'm also fighting against the guardianship and have been since May 2020. And my sister got taken off as co-guardian. But back then, um, 
they encouraged me to have her in the room when I was induced. And I didn't like that. I didn't really like, they, they, it was an option. They didn't force it. They just said it would be easy. It would be easier on them than, you know, having to go out and like get updates and stuff. But I didn't really like, um, uh, I, I wanted to make easier on the doctors. Um, I eventually I did make my, tell my sister to leave. Um, and it, the birth process wasn't as horrible as my sister seemed to think. And the stroke too, I kind of wanted just people I trusted to kind of help. And I didn't like people speaking for me. I remember at one point um, hearing my sister say, is she ever going to be able to talk again? And everyone know they like to talk, but I've also been around the people who who can't talk to know that, hey, it's not all dear and blue. So I'm in bed lying, lying there like, I thinking, I don't want to know if I, if, and she'd ask it in front of me, I don't want to know if I will be able to talk or not, because if I can't talk, I'll figure out a way. You know, I'll figure out another way to communicate. Um, and the doctors didn't know, and it worked out. But I, I was thinking, okay, well, if I can't talk, there's always AAC, sign language, and all these things. So kind of like, they, they clearly have not been enough around enough people with disabilities. So for the... Uh, induction was the um, stroke the reason for the induct induction or was there another reason for the induction I think it was probably the stroke I'm not sure but it probably was and I either way I didn't really ask I was just glad it was an induction because it wouldn't be a, it would make it so it wasn't a surprise I didn't want to be one of those people where it kind of like all of a sudden happens I'm not a huge fan of surprises um so I, I, if I had a guess, I would say probably did have something to do with that. Um, so it was a scheduled induction. What week was it scheduled for? Did they have a specific date they wanted you scheduled by or anything like that? Don't remember. I, they did give me a date. I can't remember what it was right now, but I went, I went into the induction on August 10th. And then, um, Kip was, Kip was born the 11th, but it was like at night on August can you go into like how how the uh, induction started, kind of getting to the hospital, that kind of thing? Getting to the hospital, my boyfriend uh, took me to my appointment and for the induction, and um, my sister met us there when I was. Uh... So, I know you said you didn't like really having people around and things like that. Was was there more people involved with your birth since? you had the stroke and like in the beginning stages where there are people already there there were more probably more doctors and nurses than at a low-risk birth <laughs> there was a team um there was like a whole team but other than that uh it was just my sister and my boyfriend i didn't think in new jersey you were allowed to have a doula with you i think later i found out that you were permitted at that point to have a doula if I had known that I actually have a friend who's a doula and I would have taken her up on the offer to have a doula with, with me um but yeah it was just me the doctors and my boyfriend and part of the time my sister and since you were having an induction and this team and all that did you ha go through like a uh birthing class or any like educational books or anything on birth Lots of books. Unfortunately, and this is one of the disadvantages of the pandemic, I I don't learn virtually. Like, that's just not how I learn. 
So, I mean, I did a baby care class when I was pregnant, but that was hard to understand. It, it just doesn't work. I need hands-on instruction. So that, yeah, the pandemic made it a problem. So a lot of books um, trying to, which didn't really help completely because that wasn't hands-on. It was at least visual, hands-on and visual. So it helped with the with that component, but I read a lot of books about it. Do you remember some of those titles of the books? Um, Not off the top of my head. I can go grab them. That's okay. I was just curious. They're pretty, they're, they're pretty good books too. I tried to get one with lots of like pictures and step-by-step instructions and stuff. Maybe we can, uh, you can like find the titles and then I can put them in the show notes so other people can check them out if they want to. I will do that. I will send you the... So I guess we can go into labor, getting the labor started. I know they probably had to, you know, hook you up on the, all kind of wires for birth. What was that like? mind them that much actually the it was like i had some wires when i had the stroke and as for needles i um well the blood thinner i was taking was an injection so it wouldn't go to my son um so the wires didn't bother me that much the epidural i didn't know this about epidurals but they hurt to get put in they the putting in process i think i didn't you know i didn't actually squeeze anyone's hand when i gave when i was giving birth um i was offered a hand from my boyfriend but i didn't take it um whereas when i got the epidural i swear i I, the the porn nurse that was when i (laughs) squeezed being induced, did they use uh, Pitocin to get the contractions going, or did they live to labor naturally? Do you remember? It's funny because I do and I don't. One of the books that I got, I'll remember when I see that book and I see the different, there's a section on induction. So I'll see, I'll, I'll remember, I'll be like, I'll have that, I'll that. that's what it was. But I don't remember without that book in front of me, sadly. In the notes, maybe I'll mark. Maybe I'll put a special note on what is done also. Because apparently there are mul- there are multiple types of induction, which makes it hard to know which one. At the epidural, did you get it early on in the process? Or did, you know, did you labor a while and then get it? Labor a little, not too much, but just a little. A few contractions. It did get to the point, though, where they said, did you feel that? And, they, and, and then I was like, no, what? And they said, you just had a contraction. So it got to the point where I couldn't really feel anything from in that area, but um, from the waist down. But um, I had, if there was already a little bit of the, but the induction was before that. So there was a little bit of pain before. Well, discomfort type pain because it wasn't close enough for it to be full on. I'm assuming you had a vaginal birth. Or how did that? Yes. Um, And with an epidural, I'm sure you couldn't really feel anything. So how was the pushing phase? Did they let you lie on your back or your side? Did they give you different options? Do you remember how the pushing phase went? I remember being given options, but I know I lied on my back. And I was okay with that. Did they do like what they call 
sometimes some people call it purple pushing or assisted pushing where they count to 10 and you push as they're counting. They just let you push as you wished kind of thing. That's cool. They didn't. I'm actually kind of glad they didn't because you have to get really in the person's face in order to do that. Plus, those people are using more discomfort. And I wasn't in, and it wasn't really uncomfortable for me. So it was just something I could. I don't, other than the epidural, I have no explanation for why it didn't hurt as much as it should have. Even with an epidural, it probably should have hurt a little bit. But the, the, Purple pushing probably would have just made it harder instead of easier. It was better for me to push on my own. You said that they would, you know, normally have to get in your face and things like that. Did having that many people or the doctor, you know, around, did that bother you as far as touch? I know you said touch kind of bothers you with autism and things like that. Did having that many people around, did that bother you? They gave me a heads up. They gave me a heads up so it wasn't as much of a surprise. I didn't, the, not a lot of them came in at a time until the actual delivery. That's when the room really filled up. So that um, wasn't too bad. I mean, having my sister there talking and saying, like, asking the doctor questions and then translating the answers into ways she thought that me help would help me understand was annoying especially since i'm thinking i'm right here um i would I, I would wish that my family would um ask me if you know they people knew what they were talking if but i if i knew what understood was being said rather than just translating what they thought was best so that was annoying but the actual process was that frustrating do you know how about how long you push or was it did it seem quick did it seem like seem like a long time if you can't give me a you know time frame it seemed quick it felt quick um the last i actually threw up with the last push it made it nice and easy the last push because the force of the yeah so i was like okay or like no to self if i if and that's a big if when sitting the stroke. If I ever have kids again, um, make sure to throw up. <laughs> that's great. Once he was out, they put him like on your chest and kind of just let y'all be or like, what was that like? This is actually, they did what they should have done. This is actually something that I regret on my end. Um, I didn't, they asked if I wanted him on my chest. And I didn't want him right away. I had this weird feeling, you know how like people are okay with like naked babies and stuff, you know? I didn't really want kick against my chest if he had no clothes on. I, I, my mindset is like, when he's older, it will probably be embarrassing, so, you know, kind of a thing to have the idea of that. I wish I did now, um, especially since that lot, lap of touch right away was a bit played a pretty big role in child welfare services being called um what part of the complaint was about she isn't bonding in that oh um but it wasn't that i wasn't interested or didn't want to do it i might i just had the mindset that it was the reason i said before about um not wanting to do it right away and wanted him to get clean i also wanted him to get cleaned up a little bit i wanted him to look his best if he was on my 
test. But there is one third thing that people often, including investigator, misinterpreted, seen misinterpret. When I was in high school, um, we learned about shaken baby syndrome at one point, and I wasn't really worried about shaking him exactly. I wasn't worried about that frustration. It was just because I asked, like, um, why it hurts the baby so much, and they said because they're fragile and they're they can be squished, e their head can be squished easily and stuff. So when they're born, I was kind of afraid maybe I would mess up if I held him. Maybe I'd hold him too hard. I mean, I've actually done that with a hamster. When I was a kid, I had a hamster that bit me because I almost crushed the poor hamster. <laughs> but I was afraid that he would, um, I, I didn't want to accidentally hurt him. And I wanted to make sure I was holding him right. So I was like, strangely, I was worried about hurting him. I did try to breastfeed a few times, though. Um, Chip and I, his name, his name is Kip. We um we were both getting annoyed. There wasn't really a lot of milk. That there was it wasn't there wasn't like anything coming out. Really, even with the pump, we were trying. I also wanted to breastfeed, but nothing. It it just didn't. So I did try to do that. I tried to flip ball hold. That seemed the easiest. Um, but nothing really came out. So there were a lot of things that happened that made it so that the it was a little bit harder at the beginning than I think it is for some people. Uh, the putting him on your chest without any clothes on or that feeling, could that be tied to the sensory, like, senses kind of thing that comes with autism? Him not being clean, yes. Not being cleaned off. I didn't think that he would, I would have a problem with him not having any clothes on after he was clean that um i figured I, I, it was like i figured it was when he had stuff on him that you know that um the stuff that was inside my body on him that i figured that would be a sensory problem but once he once he was cleaned up that kind of changed to wanting him to have be a little bit more more old more but it wasn't a sensory thing it was a um a modest issue Saying, even though I know it's weird, babies, you know, you don't have to be modest with them. But I know that if I someone shows photos of me on my mom's chest or, or something, now I'm older, I would have been so embarrassed. And I didn't want to worry about that with him when he's older. So that was the way my brain. How did like coming home from the hospital, like, becoming a parent, how'd that? Well, I was one of the more common cases for people with disabilities where. The investigator for child welfare services came to the hospital and they emergency removed him. He was in the NICU for a, a bit because he had a hard time keeping food down, I think it was. I wasn't too worried about him. Maybe they were also worried because I wasn't as worried as they would expect of the NICU, you know. But I knew I, I knew that, well, okay, this this there are worse things, there are much worse things being in the NICU for. Um, so I went home, but then it was like, they, they wouldn't, I, the child welfare services wouldn't let me bring him home with me. They said an emergency, um, removal. They looked at my ISP, my individualized service plan, which of course you get your funding based off of your weaknesses. And even though it's your worst day, they didn't know the disability system. It wasn't an abuse complaint, by the way. Again, it was a family in need of services complaint. There was no abuse or neglect on that complaint like she's not bonding they need resources 
but he never got to go home with me. He went home with my boyfriend's parents and that was hard since um the at that point I wanted to get an emotion I wanted to file an emotional distress lawsuit against his mom because of the way things were with that with her and um the way she was acting. I brought it up to my boyfriend and he didn't he didn't want that. He went away to like he was was born so the first few days after, I was angry at him, like, for not doing anything, like, not not, not doing something. And he was, like, saying, just saying, I didn't know um, this, that would happen. I thought maybe they were too old and stuff. Um, so I went home, and my boyfriend had to stay with them, too. So I went home, ultimately, by myself. And I was missing. All right, that sounds... Because I was like, I didn't have, like, it was like my boyfriend and my kid was, were taken from me. They said, you can come whenever you want, but the mom, when, when no, my boyfriend's mom, when no one was around, she was hovering. She wasn't teaching anything. She wouldn't let me do anything. I just sat there feeding him the whole time. The whole time. That or following orders. Kind of remind me of a, a mix between Mother Baffle and Claude Frollo, where they're not like, Physically, well, Frollo is physically abusive, but in a different way. It's just, it was hard. It was really, it's still hard, even now. But those few days were the hardest. Sometimes I would feel my belly, um, and, um, like, and then I would, um, effort to feel comfort from it, but it was like, but I was like, there's, there's nothing in there anymore. Like, you're, you're, you're alone. Your kid's not there. Your boyfriend's not there. Your investigator won't ask you what kind of services you need. You weren't allowed to sign the protection, the safety protection plan or even read it because you have the guardianship. It felt, it felt helpless. And then I did eventually talk to my dad and he still insisted on adoption. So it took about like a, several months for us to finally find some outside help and by then enough had gone on that it's it's gonna really it's a really hard time so he kip is currently still with your boyfriend's parents yep so sorry <laughs> that's rough do, do you get to see him often only twice a week for two hours on wednesdays and an hour and 45 minutes on Thursdays. I did try to tell them that in terms of accommodations, I would need to see him more often. Really, not to short bonding, but to really learn. But the mindset that we have is, oh, you can see him whenever you want, you know, when his parents, when Ray's parents are around and stuff. And on paper, that is true. In practice, that's BS. So I'm not really getting, I actually, I filed a complaint to the Fed. And I didn't even get any backup on that because it's just on paper. It looks like, oh, she can come in whenever she wants. We will, we will help her. But I'm trying to get over the trauma from the mom and they're not letting, they originally said we can ask our friends to be supervisors that they take back at one point. I said, no, these people can't be supervisors anymore. So I, I lost complete faith in the state that I live in. The state that doesn't really count emotional, psychological, and Verbal abuse as abuse. As long as they're a family, you're good. And have you thought about, are there any, like, 
have you thought about like therapy or anything like that for yourself to like because it seems like a lot to take in and kind of do you have oh i'm going all good i'm going to therapy and my boyfriend is going to therapy now also we're both going to therapy separately um we're trying to get the rest of the family in we have the court ordered therapy but that's not working very well it's very dictated by the way the uh well, it's it's just about communication, and I keep saying, and my therapist agrees with me on this. I told I told my therapist about it, and like all they care about is improving communication. And I keep telling the therapist, if we don't get past the root of the cause, there there won't be any change. Yeah, New Jersey was New Jersey was sued. I think it was in two thousand three. That's how Alter Services used to be DIFIS, but um, it's now called DCPP. Um, DIFIS was Division of Youth and Family Services, DCPP is Division of Child Protection and Permanency. Um, so a big part of, the, part of the reform was actually the rebranding. Re Another part was um, encouraging getting more kids um, either reunited, either A, reunited, or B, with family. Or if they didn't have family, getting them reunited as soon as you can. Um, which usually is wish more people could understand the way it can be in practice most most of the time i have nothing against parent reunification and parents i actually do support that it's our reunification family i just wish it wasn't there wasn't this mindset of it's always good it's just so frustrating when you live in a state where it's like okay kate is in this place it's okay now we're, let's let's we finish our checklist. Let's go on to the next. So glad you came on to tell your story, especially with all that's gone on. Um, I just I thank you for giving your time and allowing me to have it on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening and feel free to email me if you have any questions or would like to be featured on the podcast at disabledbirthstories at gmail.com.